In the past few months on campus, incidents of racist and anti-Semitic hate speech have cast a shadow over the start of the school year. These events contribute to the long documented history of racism, anti-Semitism, and other forms of bigotry on campuses nationwide. With a topic as complex and sensitive as this one, a lot of care must be taken when covering it for any news publication. So this episode, we are talking with news reporter Lydia Meyer and her coverage of these events in her multi-article arc throughout the month of October. Before we begin, I would like to issue a content warning. While we do not go into depth about the events in our conversation, we do speak about the incidents and their impacts. Because of this, I would suggest first reading Lydia's articles, Campus Darkened by Hate Speech Incidents and Hate Speech Conversations Continue, both of which are available on our website under the News tab. Um, my name is Lydia Meyer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a sophomore at Hamlin. Um, I've worked for the Oracle in various positions since my first semester at Hamlin. Um, I started as a copy editor my first year, and now going into my sophomore year, I've started a hybrid position as a news reporter and also as a copy editor. So I get the really fun job of both writing my work and then editing my work as well as editing other people's stories. So um, on Thursday, we have our Oracle meeting. Um, and usually at that point, I'll try to nab a story idea from my editor. Um, and then usually that night or Friday morning, we'll get the budget. Um, my editor will include some questions, some sources, uh, maybe some info that I didn't know beforehand. Um, and then usually that day, I try to send out emails to my initial sources. Um, Usually they don't respond to me until next Monday, but that's fine. Um, and then I just tend to work from there based off of my sources schedules. I try to get interviews done in the first half of the week. So if there are any initial, um, if any initial sources give me other sources or other places that I should be looking for more information, I can then reach out to those individuals. Um, and then I also have the second half of the week to work on transcribing my audio recordings and pulling quotes and then putting the story together. Um, and my week ends on Friday night at midnight, if I get done in time, with submitting my article for review from my editor and the other copy editors. For this article specifically, and we'll talk a little bit more about what it takes to write a story that arcs over multiple articles, but for this uh, article that is currently in print, and by the time this comes out, the second one will also be in print, what went into making this happen? Like, what went into reach? Well, who did you reach out to? Were there suggestions given to you by your editor or other reporters? What sort of leads were you able to follow? This was an issue... Um and a topic that was brought up um, in multiple Oracle meetings as we kind of figured out the scope of what was going on. Mm. Um, and when we finally decided that this was going to be a piece that we had enough information and enough sources to go ahead and cover, um, I received the budget from my editor um, saying that I could cover this story and my 
initial reaction was a little bit of shock um, that they were willing to let a um, a sophomore reporter cover this piece um, and a lot of nervousness as I looked into how I was going to cover this. Um, I'm very aware of my position as a uh, cis white female reporter um, and going into a piece that discusses hate speech on a college campus specifically relating to anti-Semitism and racism. Um, it was, I was very mindful of how I was going to show up in the story um, and how I was going to have to be really careful of who I interviewed, um, not tokenizing anyone, but also getting perspectives from as many people who were willing to talk to me um, as possible. And then also just very aware of how little we really knew about the situation, honestly, as a campus-wide community. Um, the two separate hate speech incidents were very much not widely spread or published anywhere. Um, and so the information I knew I was getting from firsthand sources and administrative perspectives, and it was definitely a challenge at first to find out the scope of the issues and everything that happened. Um, but by the time I reached out to my sources that week, um, I actually, I got a response from a few of my sources. And then the day after I sent out my emails, um, the president's office sent out an email to the campus-wide community um, addressing the incidents and um, bringing what had happened to light, uh, which I felt personally was a good decision. Obviously, everyone I had talked to up until that point um, off the record, everyone who I just talked to in a general sense was very much like, oh, we wish this was covered more widely. We wished um, that the administration was saying something about the, these issues. Um, and so I was really glad the email went out, but that meant that my process had to accelerate. Uh, we originally were planning for this to be one story that was um, sent to publication two weeks after I got the budget. Um, I was going to have two weeks to collect as many sources as I could, put it together in a long feature style piece and um, do what I could with that. And suddenly this became a much more time sensitive issue where I, of course, was still worried about writing it correctly, making sure as many people got eyes on it as possible. But it was also crucial that we got what information we knew that wasn't included in the email out to the campus community as soon as possible. So with a story like this, with a story that, you know, changes its dynamics so quickly, mm -hmm. is that something that is common when it comes to writing for the news section? Or is this kind of a, this is new to us? Uh, or this is like once in a blue moon sort of situation? I wouldn't say that it's um, entirely uncommon, but for me, it was new. Um, I'm sure that my the other reporters in news and my section editor and our advisor have all experienced something like this at one point or another. But for me, going into, um, I had last May and September to get used to the news writing process, and then all of a sudden I was thrown into this story. So this was a first time event for me. 
what kind of challenges were presented? Because I know that you talked a little bit about how like the time frame was accelerated, but in what ways did that affect how you got sources, how you were able to do those things? Was there a lot more like email submissions that you had to take? Was there a was were you able to have in person interviews with such a truncated time frame? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I had initially reached out to sources mainly from the administration and then also my primary sources, people who had experienced the incident firsthand, one of those being um, uh, the professor whose class one of the um, hate speech incidents happened in. Um, and so I was hoping to get as much information from them as I could to sort of um, formulate my questions for the next set of sources that I was reaching out to. And all of a sudden, the process had to be quickly accelerated. So I was sending out emails to my second set of sources um, much faster than I thought I was going to have to. Um, I ended up doing um, a lot of online interviews because it worked better for the people that I was interviewing. Um, I did a few email interviews, both for my sake and for the sake of the people that I was interviewing. Um, and obviously that's something that happens with a story that um, changes and develops like this. But um, that was a bit of a challenge for me because I always prefer to do an interview in person so that specifically with a topic as heavy as this, I can be there in that space with that person. Um, I can be focused on listening to them as fully as I can. And um, it's it's really just a different dynamic for me when it's in person rather than online. So that was one of the challenges I faced. Um. So we talked a little bit about earlier about the angles that you decided to include and the subjects you decided to interview for the piece. Um, what was the what did that look like trying to find the balance between administrative and people who had their own opinions who were part administrative and then also you know reaching out to on campus orgs, clergy, the chaplain's office. Uh, what what did that look like? Why did you or why did you take the the approach that you did to collecting those sources? Yeah. So uh, whenever I go into a story personally, I don't really begin with a hard and fast angle because I don't even know what I don't know yet. Um, and so I let my interviews and my sources shape the story. And mm. from those initial off-record interviews and discussions that I just had with my um, fellow students on campus, I was able to formulate an angle um, of the student perspective. And then adding on to that, the um, faculty piece, the administrative piece, um, the uh, chaplain and um, uh, rabbi's perspectives on this um, and student organization perspectives all really um, fell together to bring me perspectives that show that there is really somewhat of a divide between the administration and the students on an issue like this. Uh, when it came to writing this article, I know that a number of people probably have not read this article or are just now reading this article because of the story or vice versa, uh, and, and or have not read the second piece that's come out. But mm -hmm. through your coverage of this these events, this kind of uh, everything that's been happening in the realm of anti-Semitism and racism on campus, 
Was there common themes that you saw among all of the people you interviewed or the organizations that sent out specific um, responses to the incidents? Yeah, actually. Um, So from administration and faculty um, and other uh, positions of authority on campus, I was hearing a lot of common threads of um, just they're doing whatever they can to support students. They're trying to hear student perspectives and understand what students need from them and um, often feeling like students aren't able to fully understand the um, full realm of what they are doing to try and address incidents like this. And on the other side of it, um, a lot of students and student org leaders that I talked to feel unsupported by the um, administration and left with a lot of unanswered questions about these incidents and the um, any punishments for perpetrators and uh, the way that the university is going to handle things like this moving forward. So there really seems to be a divide between students and administration in this way, which was really interesting to cover. Did you, uh, like you said, you don't, like you said earlier, you don't go in with an angle per se, or Mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know. But, but was that something that kind of caught you off guard? Like the amount of people that were kind of like, wow, this is a real divide that we're seeing. Yeah, it was especially interesting, um, in interviews. Uh, again, there was, I had a kind of idea of what I thought the situation was, what I thought the administration's response had been. Um, And then I was in an interview with Assistant Director of Residential Life, Yolanda Armstrong, uh, and she uh, mentioned that there was a lot of things that the Department of Residential Life was doing behind the scenes that the campus community didn't know about, and they weren't really sure how to explain to students, um, and that She was a little bit um, disappointed by the narrative that uh, the university as a whole wasn't doing everything they could to address these issues because she personally was working as hard as she could to support students in the incident that happened in the dorm rooms and then just support her residents and her RAs in general. Um, And so I was expecting that students would feel um unsupported or have a lot of unanswered questions just because that's a common theme i find with a lot of stories that i'm writing um there's always going to be a little bit of a divide between administration and those that they are administering to um but it was really really interesting to me to find the administrative perspective and what they are doing that the campus community doesn't necessarily know about and how even for students who do know about that, it still may not be enough. Do you think that that's where the importance of writing pieces like these or the importance of a paper like the Oracle and the importance of student journalists is, is to kind of help bridge that gap in ways that otherwise couldn't be bridged? Yeah, I think that's one of my, um, one of the major goals I have for um, my writing. Going into this piece, I initially thought that the biggest thing that was going to happen from this story was that the campus community would find out about these events. But then um, the president's office email came out and campus found out about these 
the um, incidence of hate speech a week earlier than um, we were expecting. But suddenly I had a new um, purpose or a new angle for my story. And uh, there was more of a chance to have a frank discussion about what the university was doing and where they were failing and where they were succeeding and what students needed from the university. At the end of the piece that you wrote um, on the 13th of October, uh, you include at the end that it's going Mm -hmm. to be multiple articles that are going to be covering the same topic and the same subject and the same events and incidents. Uh, But at the end of your article, you you include uh, a space where people can email you and talk to you about this issue for the article that you actually just finished and is going to the editing process mm-hmm. tonight. Um, so what kind of response did that have? Did you get people, a lot of people who said, oh, I have my own two cents to add to this? Or was it just more of the same? Or was it, did it change how you approached this this second article about the topic? Yeah, so um, I didn't end up getting any responses from that little piece, which was fine. It's on the fourth page um, at that point where that is written. Um, And honestly, most students who would have a big perspective and would be willing to be interviewed were reached out to already. But I did think it was really, really important for me to hold that space and open that dialogue for any students who possibly did have a perspective. Um, But yeah, throughout the process, I've talked to people from all over campus. um, And uh students with very differing perspectives students who wanted to remain anonymous students in positions of power students who had such big um ideas and opinions on this topic that they suddenly were lifted to a position of um notoriety on campus and have had important conversations with administration because of these issues um and so I really feel like I've done I've done what I could to include as many perspectives as possible, um, but I was wishing I would get some responses from that little blurb right there. <laughs> um, I guess the other thing that I had to ask is, you, and this is something that I didn't even think about until you just mentioned it, but when you're covering things like this, there is so much care in journalistic ethics mm. about attribution and anonymity when people want anonymity so with this piece was there a lot of that kind of things are in the gray area of what's on background what's on deep background what's off the record who can i attribute this to and how did you handle that going into writing these two articles yeah um in that sense i i just did my best to explain where i was at and ask questions if i didn't know. Um, I had one student who want who had a lot of opinions, which I knew from our previous conversations, just mm. in general. Um, and I really, really wanted to interview them because I knew their perspective was incredibly important. But they uh, were not comfortable going um, on the record with their name um, for this story. And so I talked to my editor and I offered them. Um, an anonymous perspective and they accepted and I got a really um I got lots of great opinions and quotes from that um but that was something that I just had to reach out and suggest and say I know you're not comfortable going on the record would you be comfortable with this I always with this story I've offered the opportunity to skip any questions they don't want to answer or to go off the record 
with any of the questions in the interview to basically everyone I've talked to. Um, only been taken up on that a couple of times, uh, which I think, I guess, hopefully is a testament to um, some well thought out and uh, respectfully written questions. Mm. But um, I really thought it was important to be respectful and acknowledge that this is a really hard topic and it's a lot to say yes just to be interviewed. And that doesn't mean that you suddenly get the right to have every part of your life picked apart by the reporter, so. And I think that that's a really hopeful thing to hear you say because so often I think that the idea is that reporters are hawks or that we're (laughs) people with cameras who just want to capture everything and expose everything and write the story. (laughs) But I think at the heart of it is that we're trying to bring light to events and to people's lives and real incidents and people's like emotions about things Mm -hmm. and trying to put it into 500 to 700 words (laughs) that you can read every week. And um, I think that the hopeful thing from you saying that and folks who are listening to this can get from it is, is that we do put a lot of care and time and thought into how we approach you, how we approach what you have to say um, and also how we, keep your identity safe as private citizens yeah yeah it's um obviously i'm going to go into uh different interviews with uh a different amount of um i don't know what the word is here but for example i'll go into a meeting with the um dean of students and be a little bit more um forceful about getting answers to my questions. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. I'm going to try and get the answers that I know they have for me. Whereas if I'm going into an interview with a first year student, I'm going to be much more careful about the questions I ask and knowing that they've probably never been interviewed before for anything. Um, I want to make sure it's a positive experience for them. If I don't get exactly, um, the answer to a question I'm looking for, I'm going to be okay with that because what I really want is for them to come away from that experience knowing that there's somebody on uh, the newspaper staff who cares about them and their perspective and wants to to uplift their voice to the campus community. You write for news and uh, that's kind of your, your beat, your area. What is so unique about writing news versus writing other things that may appear in the paper? I know last week we talked with, um, or last episode, excuse me, we talked with Catherine Robinson, who writes in Variety, and she talked about the idea that Variety is like different every week and that Variety changes very, very quickly. What is unique about writing for news? From my experience, the most unique thing about news, which can be true for other sections depending on what stories they're covering, but has been, in my experience, true with every issue of news, is that news is so time sensitive and Mm. it's always changing and Mm. I'm always on my toes trying to figure out if I'm going to have to change my article completely, scrap it. There have been so many instances where I or um, the other reporter in news have had a story and we've had to just completely scrap it and go, you know, this this isn't a story anymore. We're going to have to now, halfway through the week, find an entirely new story to cover. Um, 
And that's, that's so important, I think, because news is where a lot of the really hard, heavy hitting topics come up, uh, where a lot of things like this that are really hard to talk about that kind of that frankly suck that they're happening on campus. Um, that's news is where that stuff is mostly reported. And that means that we have to be really mindful of the way we're covering it and how long we're taking to cover it and um, when it's going to come out and if it's going to be relevant. And um, yeah, it's, I think the biggest thing about news is that it's always time sensitive. Um, there's one other thing that was specific to your article this week that I don't know of recent I've seen in Oracle articles is that um, the person you interviewed for one of the people you interviewed for your piece uh, happens to be also the uh, advisor <laughs> for the paper, uh, the faculty advisor for the paper. And so um, I really appreciate the disclaimer at the end. That's just good journalism, but I like the way that it was worded and put in um, if, for folks who aren't keen or don't know anything about journalism or are just starting to learn about journalism, why is that important? And what kind of conversations happened when it came about that, oh, one of the people who's involved in one of these incidences uh, happens to also be a member of the paper? How did those conversations go and what came out of them? Yeah. So for a little bit of background, um, Dr. Trevor Main is our advisor for the Oracle. Um, and he was actually the professor of a class where one of the incidents of hate speech happened. Uh, it was one a first-year member of his class who perpetrated this incident. Um, and so he was a really, uh, Dr. Main was a really, really important primary source for me to have. Uh, I talked about it with my section editor and we both decided there's really no way to tell this story without Trevor. Um, you... We need his perspective. We don't have another firsthand source who was in the room when this happened without talking to a first year. And that's not necessarily what we want from the story. That's not necessarily the most ethical way to go about getting the information of what happened. But at the same time, we do our best to keep um, Oracle reporters, Oracle staff, um, our uh, advisor out of any stories we tell. There have been a lot of times where um, I've had to say, yeah, I'm involved in this situation, but I can't talk to the paper because I am the paper. <laughs> um, and somebody will suggest a source to me and I'll say, I would love to talk to them, but they work for the Oracle. Um, and it's just really important for journalistic integrity to, in most situations, keep um, the staff separate and also just not be an echo chamber. I mean, Everyone on our staff is so involved over campus that we could fill an entire issue every week by just interviewing our own staff. But that would only tell the perspectives of the Oracle itself, which is not what we're trying to do with our paper. So um, coming back to this situation, um, it was really interesting because we try so hard to not interview people on the paper, but in this case, we needed to. Um, and so... We made it very clear with Trevor um, and in discussion with him that we couldn't have him be an advisory member for this piece. We'd have to go elsewhere if we had questions about the piece or how to phrase something. Um, since he was being interviewed as a source, I interviewed him like anyone else. I 
reached out to him over email explaining who I was, saying I worked for the Oracle. Um, and then I went to the interview, asked him the same questions I asked everyone else, um, recorded him just like I recorded everyone else, treated him like any other interviewee. Um, but then we couldn't treat him like any other interviewee because we had to make it clear to the campus that he was involved in the story, even in the small way of just being our advisor overall. Even if he wasn't getting any advisory say over this story, he still was our advisor and that's important to explain. So we just put a disclaimer at the end um, to make that clear to the campus because ethics and journalism is incredibly important, even if it doesn't seem that um, that important. Another thing that I will note that it was very unique to your article, at least in my mind is unique, mm. is that at the beginning of your article, you give a content warning. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have read the article, the content warning reads, content warning, this piece includes details of racially motivated and anti-Semitic incidents on Hamlin campus. And I think that that, I haven't seen something like that been done before in an article. Um, I think that it is a good thing. I think that it'd be great to have more of those. But was that a decision that you made? Was that a decision that your section editor made? Was that a decision that other members of the editorial staff made? What was, how did that end up in print? Mm, yeah. So um, being a copy editor, I actually saw a few instances of this last year um, on various stories. There's just uh, if somebody was writing a film review, but the film covered some very heavy topics, they would include a content warning. Um, I think there was maybe a content warning in news for something that happened on campus. I can't remember any of the specifics, but I've seen it happen in the Oracle before. Um, and when I sat down to write the article and start the article and like write out my header and my deck um, and start the article, I was like, this is something I really need to include. I'm not going to describe incidents of racism and anti-Semitism on campus without making it clear that that's what I'm doing. I don't want somebody to be blindsided by this when they're just sitting down to read their newspaper with a cup of coffee. You never know who's going to be affected by an issue like this. And I just, that was something that I thought was really important as someone who cares a lot about journalistic integrity. This was another way that I thought I could make the story as um, ethical as possible. And I think that that once again speaks to the idea of journalists actually putting a lot of care into the things that we do and the work that we do, because this just goes to show, although it's a very small scale of it, is that often a criticism is that journalism, we get told that, you know, we just like to plaster it all out there and we like to just cover all of the really intense stuff uh, and we do because that's our job to cover it but this is just another i think just another small way that it goes to show that journalists do care about the kind of content we're putting out yeah uh, with these pieces uh the one that is published as of recording and then the one that is uh, actually like i said going into the editorial process right now as we're speaking um was there anything that had to be left out or things that you felt like you needed to, like you went, oh, this is great, and it really informs some of the things that are said in the article, but I don't have the space or the time to include it in <laughs> either of the articles? Yeah. Um, so I'm still in the process of putting the second piece together, so I haven't yet decided what will be in it and what will be out. But um, if I had my druthers, I would include 
every bit of every interview in the piece and um I would include every bit of information that I could find, but of course that's not doable. Uh, part of the challenge of being a news reporter is putting a lot of information into 500 to 700 words. Mm. Um, so for example, the first piece left out almost all campus perspectives and focused on the who, what, when, where, why of the piece. It was very much a hard news style um, exactly what happened, very little opinion, very little perspective from uh, anybody except a few um, campus administrative uh, individuals, and then um, uh, the rabbi on campus um, and the Jewish student life email that was sent out. I mostly included um, the hard news aspects of it because I knew that my second piece would cover the opinions and perspectives of students and faculty and administration and obviously with the amount of interviews I have and the amount of <laughs> the heaviness of the opinions of people that I've talked to there's going to be so much that's left out which really that's hard to um reconcile with myself um it's hard to have to cut quotes down it's hard to say I know you wanted to say all of this and I can only give you this much space <laughs> um because I want to give everyone all the space, but I can't do that. I've got to show as many perspectives as I can. And part of that is um, cutting down people's words to what I, as a journalist, feel they most meant to say, which is a really, really hard job and really, really scary to be kind of interpreting someone's words in that way. <laughs> right. Like the arbiter of what somebody's intent was exactly. and what they had to say. Exactly. Uh, the last thing that I'll kind of talk about in kind of wrapping up this conversation that we've had that I've really appreciated is if there was anything that you wanted people to know about writing for news, journalism in general, what interview processes look like, ethics of journalism, anything like that, what would be the one thing that you wanted to impart upon folks who want to learn a little bit more about journalism and, and don't have the clearest mindset of what you do? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, I would say um, I would love if everyone read the news. Um, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen for everyone. Um, but we do write for the whole campus. Um, and if you feel like your perspective or your voice or what you want to read about isn't included in the oracle that's um something that we've fallen behind on and that's an issue that we need to address uh as the oracle so we're um i can't speak of course for our whole staff but everyone i know on our staff would agree that we want to be covering as many perspective and voices on campus as we can and if you have any thoughts or concerns or issues that you want addressed in the newspaper please reach out to our email please reach out to me um, please reach out to Kobe uh, because we want we want your voice to be heard um, in every story that we tell uh, that's that's my biggest goal with telling news that's why I'm a news reporter um, obviously you can do this in any section but I think a really important part of news is um, taking 
everybody's perspective and putting it into one piece and um yeah figuring out the easiest best way to do that so i would just say read the news if you have a reason you're not reading the news think about what that is and if there's um a way that we can make you feel like your perspective is wanted or heard This episode of After Deadline was produced and edited by myself, Jacob Kobe Alloy. Andrea Lindner, the Oracle Editor-in-Chief, served as the editorial advisor. The music included in this episode is courtesy of Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. Special thanks to Lydia Meyer, news reporter. If you would like to read the two articles we discussed in this episode or are interested in other stories she has covered, visit our website, HamlinOracle.com. After Deadline is a production of The Oracle, Hamlin University's independent student news publication.